What is your superpower? I'd probably say my creativity. Knowing nerdy trivia. My superpower is being a good listener. Devising a million questions. Helping people. Making people laugh. My superpower is that I'm determined and never give up. Uh, hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the, um, the Voices of the Community podcast. How you doing today, I'm pretty good. It's been uh, it's been quite a week. I was just thinking it could be really cool to talk a little bit about the things you're seeing in the interview process around uh, the the internships that we're having. So that's very interesting. So we have these internships. Um, they are Mariston based at Mariston, so the Mariston students get the first picking. But we help the entire state of California, so we have like three, four people that are going to be interns that are living in the community, but they're not Marison students. And the first step after, well, the first step is the application process. But after they've applied, the second step is an interview. And you said interview, yeah? So yeah. the interview, because the interviews are happening right now. So we have these internships. We have an internship in the cafe. Um, We've actually, so we also work in the community. We partner with a local preschool, um, Wonderland Preschool, and we're actually out in the community as well. We're working on our land. Somebody with neurodiversity, you really want to make sure they understand the job description. So questions in the interview are actually taken right out of the job description. And so if their shift, right, is going to be Thursdays in the cafe, Thursdays at 1 to 4 p.m., you actually ask the question in the interview, can you work Thursdays, 1 to 4 p.m.? Very basic questions. Uh, also ask them, they're going to do a garden internship, so a very specific question. Can you stand on your feet for one hour at the time? Can you deal with hot temperatures? Okay, this is interesting. You might think that somebody applying for the summer internship in the garden can withstand sacramental temperatures in the summer, but when you, you have to ask that question to know. Uh, the second part of the interview is almost the most important part, in my opinion. It's the experiential interview. So it's a show me interview. We have people that are working in the cafe. Can you clean tables? That's a part of the job. Actually, Marissa is our lead corner instructor. She runs the internship. She actually has the intern cleaning the table as a part of the interview. They'll set the table as a part of the interview. Talk a little bit about that because I think that's a big thing in terms of what you all talk about at TAP with TAP and how important it is for an employer to really understand the type of interview that you want to do for somebody with neurodiversity and why is it so important to have an experiential piece of the of the interview, particularly with neurodiversity? We all have anxiety. Person with neurodiversity really have anxiety. And one thing is when you ask Questions like, uh, oh, um, tell me about yourself. In fact, one of the people came to me today, one of the interns, I think they're interviewing tomorrow, and they said, oh, are you going to ask me about myself in the interview? We said, I said, no, we don't do that. We do not ask you to talk about yourself. Tell me about yourself. Um, and um, all those open-ended gotcha questions at a traditional interview, they really overwhelm somebody with neurodiversity to the point where they can't perform and they, will not get the in they won't get the job. We've seen it because they can't give the answer you need. If they can do the work, right? A lot of people can't look you in the eye and really, you know, give you correct eye contact. But if they can show you that they can do the work, more times than not, that's 
the better way to do it. And I always say, like, if the job is not going to work out, we've had people in the cafe, we're not going to hire them. If you do a show-me interview, you're going to find that out a lot sooner. Oftentimes, they'll do a traditional interview, the person with no other diversity, will get the job somehow, it's a miracle. I can't believe they got it, right? Three months down the line, they're jumped on the line. But, but if, if, if the company can't offer the support, it's, it's just very, you know, it's just, it's easier with the show me interview. Um, I do want to bring it back though to Maristem for a bit if I can. So we do all this stuff at Maristem. Um, a lot of it is experiential in nature. Um, that can really help somebody getting a job, helping with the interview. There's just these things we, we do. Um, you know, a lot's going on in my mind this week. We have our founder, um, Maureen Turtletub, uh, he, here, our founder, come to visit for the week. And it's actually a new thing that she's doing where she's working with each department in a training and trying as hard as she can to bring it back to the land, which is one of the keys at Maristem. But Eric, Aaron, how do you see Aaron, what we do at Maristem? How can that, because, because my understanding is you don't start with the job or the interview. You actually start building those fundamentals in the garden. I would say also in the um, craft, but more so in the garden, apparently. Yeah. Well, I think to me, what, like, you know, your point of we know if somebody's prepared for a job mm. when given the opportunity to show what can you do. Uh, and to me, I think the, the Maristem method or the Maristem program. Uh, the intent of the Marisem program is to, in general, provide a really wide range of movement experiences. So even if I'm like carving wood, for example, there's movements that I'm making uh, in woodworking that are all setting my nervous system uh, in a variety of ways or integrating my nervous system in a variety of ways. So the Marisem program in, in, in many is designed around movement and movement being the fundamental way in which I develop a healthy nervous system. When I have a healthy nervous system, I'm able to manage my sensory input much more effectively. I'm able to regulate my emotions and my thoughts much more effectively through doing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if I feel basically through the, a, a wide range of movement experiences, the intent is that somebody has the flexibility and capability to almost go do whatever they need to do for the job that they want to get. Mm -hmm. um, now, you don't necessarily know all the skills, but if you learn the principles of the movements, mm -hmm. it's really easy to apply those principles to the movement situation or the, the experiential situation or interview that you're being asked to do. So ultimately, our hope is that somebody leaves and when asked to do a particular interview that has to do with, you know, maybe wiping a table or uh, programming a computer or whatever, um, they have the, the confidence and the ability to do that from, from the experiential side of things. Uh, and, you know, like doing the garden provides you a bunch of different movement skills that you're starting out with. And I think when students have the opportunity to explore a variety of opportunities from that perspective, um, they're much more successful in going into the experiential-based uh, interview. That's really interesting. And the land is key here. One thing that also comes to mind, we see 
So we have students that we're desperately trying to help and it's like we're all banging our head against the wall, but technology is one thing that uh, they don't get the job often and it's been said. So I'm gonna preempt, I'm gonna say something here like, uh, okay, so technology can be great. We actually have a program right now working with students on what do they want to, like trying to figure out their future and using an app. And we've heard, me and Eric have heard tons about, oh, there's an app out there that can help somebody get a job. And we've even talked to some woman that is running a company where it is true that an app will be great at narrowing it down. But what I see with the students in Maristam is that they're so stuck on the phone, they actually, they're not paying attention to the onboarding process, to the uh, uh, food handler certificate. Like when we're trying to work with them, they're, or, 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 or they're later, they're not trying, they're just distant because they're stuck within their phone. How do we get them out of that? You know, we try to put them on land, we try to do all of this, but it, what's the best, what would you, what would your suggestion be? To, or, get, to get them out of the phone or? What would, have you seen anything that works? Because I've seen things that don't work. To get out of the phone. Yeah, absolutely, and, yeah. and to get back to the job, you know yeah. what I mean? It's a great question. I, I don't know that there's a right answer to that question. Uh, but what I do know about the phone is one, it's addicting. Mm -hmm. uh, and two, it's a really nice way to take your mind off of something uh, and not have to face the real stuff that's often hard. Um, and I think that for our students, there's a well, just uh, just saying the world today, there's a kind of a, a habit that is decompress using technology rather de rather than decompress going out into nature or cooking a nice meal with friends or, you know, all of those things that we probably used to do before TV became a big thing, before the phone became a big thing. And now the phone is just integrated in our culture. And I think that it, what it, it's kind of become at a level of addiction where you don't even realize, oh my God, this thing has like consumed many, many hours of my life and it's really hard to step out. But I will say the things that I have found that do allow you to do that is something that feels better than what the than the feedback that the phone gives you in sitting down there. And to me as an instructor, if I do a really good job at creating an environment or drawing somebody into an environment of, you know, being out in the garden and tasting really good food or making a homemade salsa that mm. tastes good or um, playing a fun game that kind of gets my body going and all of a sudden, wow, it feels really good to move rather than just sit on my couch or I'm getting probably crankier and like more slouched and all of those things. Uh, I think that that, uh, that is, a, is a remedy to getting somebody off their phone. But you, it, it, that takes... That takes a big effort. It often takes a team and, a, and a, an environment that has that invitation to, to draw you out. What about autonomy? I'm an adult and I can do what I want. Difficult, <laughs> I'll just pre-emphasize it with the job. Like it's difficult because a lot of people say, you know, we've gone back and forth embarrassed on the phone policy at breaks and lunches. But the thing is, in the job, of course, no, you're off the phone during your break. You can be on your phone during break and lunch. Yeah. But the moment you're on the clock, that phone goes away. We don't see that at Maristown in so many cases. But yes, when we've got a lot, we're focusing, on, I have to say high functioning. I don't know that we all like that word, but most of the people that I help are high, high functioning. 
meaning that they are, and they can use their brain and think for themselves. And so that can be an issue because then they're coming back and they're like, well, I'm an adult, I can do what I want. Okay, but we're trying to like yeah. help to, to see you have an end goal. I mean, it's just difficult. What yeah, that? yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I'd say we all want our freedom. Everybody mm-hmm. wants their freedom and everybody would love to, I think everybody hands down would say, I'd love to be able to do this thing this way. Right. Um, and then I think there's the realities of the world. Um, and you have to work like, I don't think there's a job that you don't have to work with somebody. Even if you're remote, you still have to email back and forth. You still have to have some sort of communication with another person. Um, and it's really easy to take a stance where this is what I want and I need, and I'm an adult and I should be able to do whatever I want. Uh, but when you get into beyond myself in an environment with multiple people or multiple needs or, uh, you know, goals of an organization or whatever it is, all of a sudden I'm coming up against like, oh, if, if what I want doesn't quite align, what do I do? Um, and I know we've talked a little bit, I think maybe even the episode with Eric about the two way street and how important it is to be able to assess um am I doing my part in the two-way street? Because I can always take that stance and just be like, I'm an adult, I wanna make this decision. But great, okay, so you boxed yourself into a corner at some level where this is who you are and this is you know, what you're gonna do and the likelihood of you finding a position or a job that can create, that's like that little corner mm-hmm. based on what it, the only, only the things that you want right. is probably not realistic or in the world for yeah. you. And so to me, it, it comes down to like, I have to be able to, to understand what the employer needs from me and be able to at least reciprocate on that level. And I think at the end of the day, I've always found, uh, that when I, when I reach towards somebody else or like I put in the effort to move, you know, to do my job even better maybe than I could do my job or um, go above and beyond in terms of how I engage with another person, that ultimately builds respect from the people around me, uh, appreciation from the people around me and, uh, and, you know, lays a foundation of trust and respect that long-term allows us to work together really effectively. If I start the conversation with, you know, I don't want to do that, or I do it this way because, um, you know, that's how I do it, particularly in power dynamics, where if I'm an employer saying, hey, I have this bigger goal and this bigger job that I got to get done, and you come, you're coming in to help us succeed in that. And, and the person who's saying, hey, I want to come help you succeed says, hey, I want to come help you succeed, but I don't want to do that thing. I don't want to do that thing. Ultimately makes it really hard for me as an employer to say, yeah, I really want to onboard this person because I feel like... Oh, are you, are you, yeah. I, 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 it's just funny because I, I'm sure you've just seen it in general, especially in your role. But like, yeah, with the student, you know, it can be difficult, but... One thing that I think we do, I always think if you do your job very well, is at Maristem we over communicate. Maybe you can take this back. 
to your organization. If you're an employer, I'm not sure, but it really works because we're working with this population. I don't know. Because we're working with this population. I would just end with this very, but what we do is we over-communicate. We have meetings where we communicate about students' needs. There is um, notes that are taken and shared with everybody. Things like medication changes, behavioral things. And there's some staff in there, I, very, I, I, I can promise you, in, in these meetings, they're like, this doesn't apply to me. But it actually does. It's interesting, even when you're walking through the campus, or let's say you're on, and I know you say this all the time, like always be aware, like uh, it's basically like you don't want to have your blinders on, so you always want to have your peripheral vision. Even though there's probably a, there's a lot of staff, like what, you know, there could be, but you're always observing this and that. And then when you are engaging, the more that you engage and the more rapport that you have with somebody, the more they're going to listen to you or the more they're going to respect you, I would say, and, and be able to like understand what you, when you say something and, and maybe the reason behind it. Totally. Yeah. And I think like for me, I'm always, you know, it's easy to, again, take the stance of that's not for me or that's not how I want to do it. And I think what can be really like when we're talking about working together, working mm -hmm. socially at some level, it's always nice if I can say, hey, that doesn't work for me, but I hear like I acknowledge where you're coming from and what your needs are. And what if we tried it this way? Like if I show up with like a creative solution, mm -hmm. oftentimes that somebody didn't think about like that to me is, is actually really helpful as, from the employer standpoint where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, like, that's a real accommodation. Um, yeah. And but, then, and, and, and I love that you came with like, cause I, I might not even know that's how I need to think, but if you showed up with not only, Hey, I need this accommodation, but a potential solution based on the understanding of what we're trying to do, like that's what, that to me is going above and beyond. And it's like, man, I'd love to work with that person. And I hate ultimatums, but they work. Like you can only know so much. If somebody is on their phone and they're supposed to be doing something to get the job, you can always just say, "Hey, listen, if you don't put your phone down and leave it alone, like you're not going to get the job because we have a deadline to do it." The on what you 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 never want to go there, but uh, you can. You can give ultimatums, but but I would say that the system that has been built here, which is this uh, system of auto communication and everything that Aaron just shared, really does work. I mean, it doesn't work in every case, and we are sad when it really just doesn't work. And uh, but it, it 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 has seen, I would say, a higher percentage of working than not working. Would you say? Yeah, I think for the most part, one of the cool things that we're talking about at Marisim right now are non-negotiables, and I think this is pretty much what you're saying uh, in terms of like. What is, um, you know, what are the non-negotiables of Maristem? Or what are the non-negotiables for a student coming to Maristem, for example? Mm -hmm. One of those being, hey, you're not being served by Maristem and you're not serving Maristem if you don't engage in the program. So that's a non-negotiable. If you have reasons for something that's going on that's keeping you from engaging, then we're happy to help you with that. But if you're ultimately not willing to engage in the program, uh, it's a non-negotiable and you probably, and you should probably find a different program where that aligns better with the things that you're looking for. Uh, and the and same I'm, principle yeah. to, is to jobs at some level. But and I'm sure you've seen it too, where it's like individualized. So, okay, you say this program isn't right for you or because you're not engaging. Not engaging is different for every person, but you kind of have to set a standard. Yeah. Like when you're working with this population, 
Because so many times I've seen people with this neurodiversity that were like, oh, oh, but, but, but I'm different than everyone else. Yeah. You have to just set a baseline, I guess. Totally. And engagement at the end of the day is measurable. It's like you right. showed up, you, ha- you asked the question, um, you advocated for yourself. It, when something wasn't going well, um, you communicated your needs, etc. And so to me, I think when I'm able to, like, if I need to support somebody to do any one of those things, like, hey, I realize that you're struggling with advocating for yourself, let's figure it out so that you can engage more effectively. Mm-hmm. I think that's our job really to help you out to do that if you're, if you're struggling. Right. But if you, like, if we do that, and you're still like, you know what? I just don't want to advocate, or I just don't want to engage today. That's a non-negotiable, and it's just ultimately it's not going to work. And you need to take a set of reflection by feeling. Yeah. Oh, I, I I'm only going to show up to engage when I feel like it. Yeah. Does it work? Because it's not. I mean, it's one thing if you were sick, but oh, I just don't feel. Or because you know, so many people with neurodiversity are masking all the time. But sometimes they really get tired and they didn't handle it properly, and they're just like. I'm just exhausted today. I can't deal with it. Well, most employers don't accept that. Uh, so, yeah. Well, yeah, and to me, I think it's always like if you have a good reason, we live in a, I think we live in a tough time where, at least in America, we're very capitalist. I'm going to go a little bit, you know, off the rail here for a second, but there's a real push where you're constantly having to work and it's a 40 hour work week and it's a grind, grind, grind for a lot of people. And that could be exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my, per- this is me, Aaron talking. Uh, like I would, I think that we need to really be thinking about how we can maintain our health and a healthy life-work balance, and still be able to live and have a thriving life. And I don't think necessarily, let's say, the system in the U.S. is set up. So in that regard, and so I think particularly for neurodiversity where I don't think that they often have the endurance that your average person has in terms of being able to put their nose to the grindstone over and over and over again for an eight hour day, for a 40 hour week, for Not- you know, 52 weeks out of the year. I think uh, sometimes you gotta make those accommodations, but there's also developmentally this challenge that's like, well, I just don't feel like doing that. And that to me, like if you can identify it often is apathy, like I'm just, I, I don't want to engage my will to do the thing that I know I need to do. And so I just kind of sit back and say, yeah, you know what? I don't feel like doing that today. And if you're an employer, please don't take it like, so in some cases they should be fired. Don't take it the wrong way, but it can, it, it almost in certain, cer- certain people, it sounds defiant. Like I'm not doing it today, yeah. which isn't the case, but they didn't handle that properly. The individual. Sure. And that to me is where like, I think it's important to be supportive and ask those clarifying questions like, hey, are you just exhausted today? And can we accommodate that? Or are you just being like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to do that. And I'm, I'm being real apathetic around the work that needs mm-hmm. to get done. And I just don't want to do it. Right. Um, and it's not always easy to figure out which one it is. Right. Um, before we uh, break out, what were, what were like two interviews that you saw this week for the internships where somebody did something really well and what were two takeaways of things that you would want to share for the greater audience to to learn from oh well let's start with learning first ladies and gentlemen now um communication is one thing people they're missing in an interview if you're missing the interview you must communicate to the person interviewing you 
or your manager, should you not have the interviewer's contact with but but not not communicating to anybody where you're this has been a big thing at this um, you know not communicating to anybody your location where you are isn't good because um, or, well, for the job there are many reasons why it's not good if this merits safety being one of them. but uh, because of the job you're not gonna get the job if you know you don't show up to the interview and if you have I allow a rescheduled interview but and I'll even go to the individual and say what was going on today, but I need communication. So that's number one. And then just showing up, you know, I haven't seen it too many times, but just disengaging. Like Aaron talks a lot about the disengaging. I mean, he just spent 20 minutes on it. We have students, that, interns, we have interns that get accepted for the job and then they don't show up for shifts. They're disengaging. Maybe they don't really want to do it. I'm not sure if they were pushed into the job for money being one reason, or they felt like they're going to owe it to somebody to do it. It's better to be upfront, like they're working in the cafe and they've accepted the job and they never show up for, they show up for a shift, they're leaving early, they're AWOL, they're just not there. That's like, a, but we saw some really successful in the, um, we have a bed and breakfast internship where we are cleaning the bed and breakfast. Um, well, yeah, and we have seen very successful. They're making the bed. They're following the step-by-step -step guide on how to do it. We saw some wonderful digging today by a student intern in the garden, digging a hole two feet deep, following uh, following Demetrio, our land instructor. That he's going to be on the land intern in charge of the internship, and he is. Um, it was wonderful. He instructed this uh, student to uh, intern to dig the hole, and then was following all the instructions. He followed the weeding instructions. The instructions for the weeding project, it was an overgrown shrub that he said, uh, Demetrio said, you, you, can you weed it on your own? Figure out how to weed it. I'm not gonna tell you what tool to use, do your hand or what, just do it. And he it figured it out, he got it done, it was wonderful. We were, um, he was ready to go. So that we will see heat might be an, an interesting factor over the summer for this individual. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that was, a, that was our two takeaways and two things to learn from. Just show up and uh, communication is key. So. Love it. I will yeah. end on communication. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are really good, Harry. I think uh, you know, just yeah, to sum it up, uh, you can do really well in the interview, but it is also important to continue doing well. Like you right. got to keep showing up. And uh, oftentimes in an interview, they don't need you to reinvent the wheel in that moment. They don't need you to show something that's way beyond yourself in that given moment, they just need you to show up and do what's being asked of you to do. And if you can, like, it, it seems simple initially, but some, some of like, it can be really like, man, I might think, oh, well, I could do this differently. Or what if I did this that way or whatever. And in an interview situation, it just makes sense. Hey, if somebody says, do these five steps, I do these five steps and I don't need to add any coloring. If I'm really good, maybe I could do those five steps perfectly and add a little bit of something to it. But it, the more important part is that I nail those five steps rather than try to change the process or the system. Right, absolutely. And as we move through the um, internship, we'll update you on the next step. So the next step is going to be the onboarding. There are some specific steps on that we recommend in the TAP training for an employer and onboarding, and we'll go over that maybe next week or... Uh, yeah, that could be a good topic for next week, the onboarding. And then 
building that support. Oh, we can bring in a job coach after that because we're gonna build support into the, um, by the way, if you're somehow an employer watching this, tap autism.org, come and talk to me, we'll take the training together, but building a champion, somebody who could support the intern long-term and then adjusting as we need to. So as you move through the process, we'll, we'll make another episode. Awesome. Thanks, Harry. Good conversation today. Absolutely. Marisim Podcast out. out.